Previously on Cast in Wax. He says his name is Reggie Sinclair, and he's the one who's been sending us all the Where Are They Now in history since Rory died. Ever since I started working with Professor Kentwood, I was periodically harassed by people who opposed the just and fair investigations of the good doctor. All right, I'm married now. If that means I have to have rough gay sex, I guess it's worth it, because I'm getting a lot of money. What in the name of the Elder Gods has just happened here? Um, I I think you just got mugged by a hooker and your roommate? Let's see, this letter says, Thomas Edison is an a**hole. One of the things you come to notice after a while about being a reporter is that you're always pointing out things about what it's like to be a reporter. Or maybe that's just me. Welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and it is very exciting to be back here in the studio with everyone present. Uh, we got all three of our hosts back in the place to be here on Cast and Wax. Uh, as you know, my name is Jordan D. White. With me right here is my cat, uh, Mr. Scape White. He is a little gray cat. Hello, I'm Mr. I'm gray. Gray, Do I know why you're gray? No, why? Because gray is the best color. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, no, I don't mean, are you sure gray is the best color? I know gray is your favorite color. What I mean is, are you sure that you are gray because gray is the best color? Well, I mean, in a roundabout way, because really, gray is the best color because I'm gray. Right. I mean, that's what I assumed you thought. So then for you to say that you are gray because... Well, if a different color was the best color, that's what color I would be. Well, but again, is it... (laughs) Are you sure that if a, if if red was the best color, you would be red, or would it be if you were red, red would be the best color? Both. 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 Yeah, but basic, Bob. Let me read it out. Whatever color I am is the best color, and whatever is the best color is whatever color I am. It's like reciprocal. Oh, that's a vocab word, I guess. Yeah, I know what it means. It's like it's like I will give you some love and you give me moist food. Oh well, um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just, okay, that's a kind of, yeah, essentially. I have some moist food, and the color that I am is like, I will pet you. I mean, I will rub up against you and be like, purr, purr, purr. Well, okay, that metaphor is a little weird. Yeah, but the point is, it's like, it was the same. So, if there is a color that is the best color, then that will be the same color I am. And which came first, right? Like, the chicken or the egg? Which one do you eat first? <laughs> Wait, What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Frank. You're just going to have to wait a minute. Okay. So, so, so escape, escape. Um, <laughs> which do you eat first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, like which one? Because they both taste good. Yeah, but I don't think that's what the question – I don't think they say which which comes first, the chicken or the egg, in the in the course of the day. Well, yeah, because you the, the egg comes first. You eat an egg at breakfast. You have a chicken for lunch or dinner probably. Right. No, he's right. Frank's right. Okay. Well, so I guess I'll introduce you. Uh, this is Frank Allen. He's back from his honeymoon. Um, here he is. Oh, uh, good to be here. But escape, escape. So, 
<laughs> so when they say which came first, the chicken or the egg, they're not meaning in order of eating. Because like Frank said, you would eat the egg at breakfast and the chicken at lunch. Well, I don't have eggs for breakfast. I have like crunchies. Well, yeah, but okay. But people, right. But what they mean when they say which came first, the chicken or the egg, they mean, oh gosh, they mean, you know, you, we, we talked about this the other day. Eggs turn into chickens when they get fertilized, not with fertilizer, but with other chickens. This is complicated. Uh, it is, but okay. An egg, a chicken grows inside of an egg, and then a chicken comes out of the egg, and then an egg comes out of the chicken. What? No, right, like, because, like, a chicken lays an egg and goes, bloop, out comes the egg. Well, I, yeah, it's a simplification, I, I know, but, but that's essentially true. Right, essentially. And then the egg gets fertilized, not with fertilizer. Wow. And then, once it's a fertilized egg, a chicken starts growing inside the egg, and it grows bigger, and it out pops a chicken, and then that chicken starts growing an egg. You see, it's a cycle forever. There's always going to be chickens and eggs, because eggs grow chickens, and ch- chickens grow eggs, and then, et cetera, et cetera. So they're saying, which came first? Which? How did it start? If, if one grows the other, then at one point, there was there an egg... That was not from a chicken. Like a lizard egg. Well, yeah, but I mean, a lizard is not going to lay an egg and then a chicken comes out. Or if it's fertilized with a chicken. Well, if it's fertilized with a chicken, then the chicken came first. And where did the chicken come from, if not an egg? Oh, I get it. That's pretty pretty deep. Well, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's deep, but I don't think it was meant to be. It's not like a Zen cone, is it? Uh, I I don't know if that's considered. Is that considered one? What do you eat first? No, no, that's not. It's not eat. First, that's what we're saying. It's just which came first. Oh, right. Which, right. Which came first? The chicken or the chicken egg? Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like the chicken must have come first in order to say chicken egg. Well, you could just say egg. I mean, there, yes, there are chicken eggs and there are lizard eggs and there are snake eggs and there are fish eggs and there are lots of kinds of eggs. But none of them grow chickens except for chicken egg. Right. So they had to have chickens to know what chicken egg was. They'd be like, what kind of egg is that? Chicken egg. Yeah, I mean... If that's the order it happened in, then then we would know the answer, but we don't know. Maybe there was just an egg, and they go, what kind of egg is that? And they go, I don't know. Let's see what comes out. And then a chicken came out, and they went, turns out it was a chicken egg. No, but then it was always retro, a chicken egg. Well, yeah, it was always a chicken egg, but they didn't say chicken egg. But then, but they did retro. I don't think that's not, that's not how retro works as a concept. Look, Dad, point is... I don't, I don't, I don't even remember what the point is. Why are we even talking about this? That's a good question. Uh, do you remember, Frank? Uh, you introduced Scape and, and he said, uh, uh, no, I don't remember why. <sighs> okay. Well, anyway, there's Scape. Um, <laughs> which do you eat first? Um, anyway, Frank Allen, I already introduced, but he's back from his honeymoon. So let's talk about that, Frank. Tell us about your honeymoon. I don't want to talk about it. What? But you had such a, you were gone for like a week or two and it must have been a lot of fun. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Well, but I mean, you're, it's been talked about on the podcast so much. We can't not talk about it. What? I mean, how is your, your marriage going? You're married to Diogenes Sinjin. Jordan? Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I, Okay, Frank. I mean, I, I understand. I think I see why you're saying this, but it, it, there's been, it's, this has been a part of the podcast every step of the way. You know, we've been hearing about the proposal. We heard about the marriage. We heard about, I mean, the impending marriage. We heard about the rings, problems with rings. And we heard a lot about, I don't want to say threats of gay sex. Yeah. This is why I don't want to, this is why I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, you know, you're going to end up asking me, Jim, am I having gay? I'm not, I'm, I don't think that it's necessary for me to talk about it. On the podcast. So everybody can just, uh, you know, I was going to say you can use your imaginations. Don't. Please don't. Please don't. Uh, in me not saying anything, assume that means there's nothing to be said. Uh, and I don't want to talk about it. 
Yeah, I I know. I uh, but I just feel like that's unfair to our listeners. I mean, here's the thing: we got a whole bunch of letters about your your marriage. Well, I okay. I mean, I, yeah, I would assume so. Like well wishes and stuff. Oh uh, no, I mean mostly not mostly not well wishes. Mostly like um, you know, just people wanted to talk about it. What about it? Well, there's a whole bunch. I mean, here uh, here here's one. Uh, uh, dear Jordan, I just wanted to say thanks after that last episode and the tease with the two guys in the limo. I have to say this is the best related porn podcast I've ever heard. I really like the literary conceit of pretending that you have no idea there's such great asshole content. Very hot. Keep it up, Paul Orman. No, see, okay. Uh, so, Paul, I, that was not for your sexual gratification. That was my life, and it was not for my sexual gratification. There was no sexual gra- I mean, there- I mean- Unfortunately, well, okay. I don't want to talk about it. This is what I'm. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. No, but Jordan. No, I'm just saying that it was you. You. You said on the podcast. I mean, the, again, if all this stuff was not on the podcast, that would be one thing. But I'm not bringing outside information. I'm just talking about things you stated on the podcast. You said on the podcast that there was a contract that said you had to have rough gay sex every night. And I want to know if. I mean, what happened with that? Is that actually occurring? Because I, I mean, this is something we haven't really talked about on the podcast, but. From what I'm aware of, Frank, you're not gay. No, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not gay. I am not a homosexual traditionally uh, in the sense that I am not attracted to men. I am not sexually aroused by men. I do not desire sexual congress with a man. Um, That being said, yes, uh, as a matter of legal record, you can see that I have legally married a man uh, and... That, I mean, can we just let it stop there? Well, you did it for the money. You said that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, I did it for the money. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying the money. That's, I will say, okay, I'll talk about that. Money, um, it's a really good thing. It's not the only thing. I mean, I'll be honest. It, it turns out money is not the only thing. And I, I mean, I knew that. I knew that going in. I knew, I knew that money was not the only thing that mattered in life, but I thought it mattered a little bit more than it does. And it's not, It's not. Are you okay, Frank? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah, no. Um, I'm just saying, money is not. Uh, it's not the only thing, and um, there are other things to consider in life besides money. Um, there are other things that contribute to one's happiness besides money. Um, I know that I. I might have done things differently if I knew uh, the truth, but okay. Um, point is, yeah, I'm enjoying the money. Um, what am I doing with it? I'm setting up a, a production company for my new show. Uh, it's going to be great. It's, um, you know, Diogenes is involved. And because um, it's, I mean, it's, it's money that he, uh, you know, technically earned and stuff. So, look, I, I'm setting up a new show. It's going to be a great television show. Look forward to it coming soon. I'll give you more details as they post. And, you know, and I and that's something to hold on to, you know, to, to hold close to myself and know that I am... Um, I'm getting something. Something to make up for the sex every night. No, I, Jordan, I don't want to talk about that. God... I just, I didn't, you know, I don't think we need to tell everyone about every detail of our personal lives. Well, no, but again, it, I, you brought it up. You know, people should know that you're sitting on quite a big cushion. I'm not, this is, it's just, I like to be, it's comfort. It's for comfort. I'm a rich person now. I can afford to bring pillows with me places, and it has nothing to do 
with any physical ailments. I just, I am a person who likes soft pillows. That is a, that is a, you know, and I know you, you're a poor schmuck who has, you know, Ikea chairs with Ikea cushions and they're, they flatten out under your butt and they don't support and they're not comfortable really, you know, and they're old. So their chairs are falling apart. So yes, I brought my own cushion to put on your stupid chairs to sit on because I'm rich, because that is the, 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 the thing I've earned through the sex. No, not, not, I mean, uh, no, not, that's not, I, I mean, that's not how I would put it. I, cause that would make me a prostitute and that's not what I am. I'm not saying I'm a prostitute. I'm saying that being, I'm just, I don't know. Being rich means that you've earned, I, I am rich and so I get the benefits of richness. Like my own cushion that someone can bring with me and I can put on your ratty old chairs to sit more comfortably. Not because I have a butt problem, but because, you know, I just, it's, wouldn't everyone like their hindquarters pampered? Not in a diaper. I don't mean in a pampers. I'm, but the reason they called them pampers is because you are pampering the child. And so wouldn't you prefer to be pampered if you not in a diaper way, though? I think we, we know what you're saying. We know what you're saying. Yeah. I'm, I, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you live in luxury if you could? So you've got all the money. You can afford the pillow, the private personal pillow that comes with you everywhere you go. And you put it down on a chair and you sit on it. And you don't need someone talking about it on the podcast so that other people can make inferences. Oh, he's got a, he's got a cushion because he's, you know, no, that's not, no one said that. No one implied that. I mean, maybe Jordan implied that, but he's wrong to imply that because it's not a correct implication. There should be no inferences. There should be no drawing of any conclusions or pictures. No, what? No, what? No drawing any pictures. What? Well, I'm saying this guy, Paul Armand, is pretty excited. He might draw his own picture. No, what? No, 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 no. Paul, no. I don't even like the fact that you are picturing it in your head. So you shouldn't be. This is not a sexual podcast. This is not a a pornographic podcast. This is a podcast where it has been talking about my personal life, but I'd appreciate it if that would stop. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, like I said, I've got some more letters, so I mean, it can't stop cold turkey. Well, I mean, I, I just I'm assuming there's other things going on this episode besides just talking about my my personal life and speculating on my sex life. Yes, no, there, there is. In fact, we've got a very special surprise coming up later in the episode. Uh, about halfway through the episode, we should be getting a visit from, well, I, uh, you know what? I don't think I want to say from whom just yet, but we will be getting a special visitor uh, about halfway through the podcast. So look forward to that. Um, for now, like I said, we're still um, we're happy to have everyone back. You know, we're, we're, we're going to have a normal show. We're going to have episodes of all of all the serials that we've been doing recently. We're going to have uh, Nathan Van Etten. We're going to have Kentwood. We're going to have Annie Italic back. We've got a bunch of letters to read, though. Uh, let me let me start by saying Write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. That's castinwax at gmail.com. Um, you can send us a letter like Paul did and like the next people are, are, are doing. Uh, and, and you can, um, you know, say what you want to say to us. Um, Frank, I've got another letter though that is relevant to you. Let's, let's do this one. Um, Frank, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, especially because I think you're already married and it may be too late. But I noticed some things over the last several podcasts that you clearly haven't, and I think it's important for you to know. Diogenes is a liar. What? Well, before you get upset, because I know he's your husband and you love him. Well, let me piece this together for you so maybe you can follow it. First, there was an email Diogenes' doctor sent as proof of his illness. It listed rough gay sex as one of the only activities he could do. I'm kind of surprised that didn't strike you as weird at the time, but moving on. Then we heard 
heard an email from a doctor from the same hospital as Diogenes' doctor accusing a superior of acting unethically. This alleged unethical doctor had the same initials as Diogenes' doctor. Coincidence? Maybe, but there's more. Then there was the engagement ring that Diogenes sent you, a pink gem. It doesn't sound like you bothered to have it appraised, but a pink gem can only either be cheap glass or a really expensive and rare gem like a pink sapphire. I can venture a guess which is more likely. Finally, there's the frank advice that you just aired with you and Diogenes. He made a couple very sketchy remarks about lying, especially to someone you're going to marry. If you haven't figured it out yet, I think it's obvious. Diogenes is not gay. He only brought up gay marriage after you did. His doctor is obviously lying. Who would sign off on a dying patient having rough gay sex? And as we heard, that guy is a fraud anyway. And a pink engagement ring? He's trying a little too hard to look gay, don't you think? Now, I don't know why Diogenes would want to lie to you about being gay. It's not like you're gay or like he'd want to give up half of his fortunes for fun. Maybe he's trying to humiliate you. Either way, he's obviously lying. Do with that information what you want. And congratulations on your wedding and all that. I hope it was everything you wanted. Sincerely, Artemis Long. <laughs> what? I, well, Artemis is saying... I, I, I heard the letter. Uh, look, uh, nothing would please me more than to find out you were right about this lie. Uh, but I can tell you it's not true that... He's not, I mean, he's pretty gay. Frank, that's not, you're not supposed to use the term that no, way. No, I, I, no, what, Jordan? No, I don't mean like, oh, that sounds really gay. I mean, he's gay. Like, he has sex with men. You know from experience. I, 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 oh. Yes, but, okay. Yes, he's gay. He likes being gay. He has sex with men. He enjoys sex with men. Many men, in fact, um, he is very, very homosexual, and he does like rough gay s sex. And and I, you're right. I, w I mean, I will, I will be honest with you. I was surprised when his doctor said he can have rough gay sex. He's dying, but he can have rough gay sex. But I assumed that it would, you know, it would usher him along a little. You know, you thought it would kill him. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't. That would be murder, and I don't do murder. But I thought it would, you know, just you know, speed things. You know, so all the rough gay sex you've been having, he's not getting worse. I didn't say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that I've been having rough gay sex. Well, no, but I mean, this one, okay, look, I mean, you're right. We are inferring that from what you said, but it's a pretty safe inference from what you just said. Yeah, but I, okay. Uh. All right, look, yes, yes, I've had rough gay sex with him and he... When one compares, uh, and I'm not going to go into details on this, but when one compares my um, experience with the rough gay sex and his experience with the rough gay sex, I think one can see pretty clearly that I, a non-gay man, have certain responses to it, and he, a actual gay man, has other responses to it, and... I, you know, I don't want to disparage the guy. I don't want to make it sound like he likes it more because I don't like it. Because that's not the case. If anything, you know, we've been struggling. I imagine that would be really hard. Yeah, but oh, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. My point was, he's definitely gay. I know he's gay. And for your information, it actually is a pink sapphire. Um, So it's, it's pretty expensive, it turns out. Wow. Well, okay. Um, so, turns out... um. 
Artemis, uh, thank you for writing into us, but I think you're you're incorrect. Uh, evidence seems to support that Diogenes is in fact gay, um, as Frank can attest here, sitting on his pillow. No, see again, you're you're making an implication that I don't like. No, I wasn't. I'm just I'm just saying that you sitting on your pillow are attesting to the fact that he's gay. Well, yeah. So the fact that you are on the pillow is not what is attesting, but rather you upon the pillow are the one who is attesting. Yeah, but okay, yeah, but that's you. But you clearly meant. No, I didn't. I'm just saying you're sitting here on a pillow saying that it's true. Well, okay. Then yeah, I mean then yes, I am sitting on a pillow and I am. So I am saying that. All right. All right. Good. So anyway, uh, let's let's uh, let's get into the shows now. Like I said, I've, I'm expecting a visitor later, so I want to do the thing where we space the shows out and we come back between every show because I don't want to miss our visitor by 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 listening to a giant um a giant thing of uh, of shows in the middle. I don't want our visitor to show up in the middle. So hopefully, uh, let's just pop in one of them and we'll do one episode of of this day in history and where are they now in history afterwards, and uh, then we'll. Pop back on. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, then let's listen to Nathan Van Etten right now. This is a lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten. Lessons from the life of Nathan Van Etten. Season 2, Episode 11 Analysis Astounds Nathan Van Etten by Charles Max Hochheimer Berman and Daniel Theodore Adorno Schwartz. Analysis is the science of examining the psyche to explain behaviors and feelings. It can reveal to us the sources of our fears and anxieties, and in revealing them, help us to overcome them. One person who has never benefited from analysis until today is Nathan Van Etten. Oh no, a German voice! I've seen movies, you must be a Nazi! Paranoid delusions, fascinating. But tell me, Mr. Van Etten, why are you afraid of the German voice? Well, the last few voices I've talked to have been a little weird. I think the voices in my head are going crazy. Wow. Truly, wow. What makes you think this? Well, come on, voice. What would compel someone to break into somebody else's head besides some kind of insanity effect? You believe that people are physically breaking into your head? No, not physically, voice. They don't have bodies. Disembodied persons. And how do you arrive at this elaborate conclusion? Well, I've heard a voice without a body. Honestly, it's as simple as Ensign Wesley Crusher. God, I thought Nazis were smart! Antagonistic towards authority figures. Noted. Hey, I was just complimenting Nazis. They're authority figures. Indeed. Now, describe these voices to me. Well, some of them are men, and some of them are women. Some of them have accents, and some of them don't. And they tell you to do things? Things you could not have possibly known yourself. Oh, oh, hey, not so fast there, guy. I didn't say anything about people telling me things I didn't know. If anything, I've been the one telling them. Narcissistic fantasies of competence. Interesting. What is that supposed to mean? Why don't you tell me, Nason? Hey, that must be my delivery of my Mazes and Monsters the movie board game! 
Oh! Oh, it's just Jane. Nope, still just Jane. Close that door again and I will feed you your own ass, Nathan. You have my attention. Good. Help me get these bags inside. Jane, we've broken up. No number of gifts will assuage my- These are my things. Mine. For me. I'm keeping them here now that I'm moving into your parents' home. But- But my parents' home is my home! I live there! Here! I know, but I forgive them. Your dad has agreed to let me stay here until I found my own place. My dad?! Why would he want you staying here?! Well, let's see, Nathan. After you stood by while my house was destroyed, my parents came to visit me in the hospital. My leg is fine, by the way. To let me know they blamed me and would prefer if I make my own living arrangements from now on. So now I'm homeless and in debt to the hospital for treating my leg. Oh god, this is terrible! You don't mean what I assume you mean when you say that. Now you'll be even more self-absorbed, just like homeless Todd was! I called it there. Bring that up to the guest bedroom. I certainly will not! This is all a part of your elaborate scheme to make me fall in love with you again, and I am not having it. Okay, Nathan. I loved you once. That's over now. You're literally my least favorite person on Earth. But your dad is very kind, and has a cute butt, and he at least has an ounce of feeling for others in his whole stupid body, unlike some people I know. Oh, gross! Don't talk to me about my dad's butt! You think so? Okay, Nathan. Then it's revenge time. What? I'm gonna seduce your dad. Just to weird you out. And because I want him. So... Win-win, I guess. Jane, that's crazy. No, you're crazy. He's like a saner, older, more acceptable you. This will never work! Oh, it won't? It worked for you, and you're a clueless, narcissistic, small-minded doofus. I am not narcissistic! You don't know what narcissistic means! Also? Whatever, Nathan. I'm sure things will settle down soon. I'm sure your dad will know how to please a woman when he's conscious. Which will be a nice change. Jane! Jane, come back down here and explain what that means! Consciousness is the level at which our deliberate thoughts are apparent to us. It is only the tip of the mental iceberg. This has been a most enlightening conversation. Yes, it has, voice. I know I learned a lesson today. Delightful, do tell. I need to look up what the word narcissistic means. You do that, Nathan. Now, we're out of time, but perhaps you will join us again for another lesson from the life of... Nathan Van Etten. In that lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten, the voice was Angelo Schwartz, Nathan Van Etten was Mickey Weissner, and Jane was Aaron Morrissey. I'll mail you my bill. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On August 5th, 1962, movie actress Marilyn Monroe is found dead in her home in Los Angeles. She was discovered lying nude in her bed, face down with a telephone in one hand. Empty bottles of pills prescribed to treat her depression were littered around the room. Hello, post office. Yes, thank you, good sir. I'd like to ask, I'm going to have someone picking up my mail for me. We can just hold it at the post office for you if you're going on a trip. I, I would rather have someone that I trust. Oh. Marilyn Monroe, you can trust me. Is it your birthday? Yes. Mr. Postman. Oh, yes. Then happy birthday to... Marilyn? Marilyn, are you... Miss Monroe? Hmm. I guess I'll just hold her mail. 
Take a lesson from Norman Jean. No, don't kill yourself. I mean, if you're going to be away for a while, make sure that you either find someone you trust to pick up your mail for you or ask the post office to hold it for you. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But hold the phone! My name's Roy Singen, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And later that same day, the postman who talked to Marilyn Monroe was walking through the post office when he saw a door he'd never seen before. And he grabbed the door, and he opened it, and he went inside, and he said, Oh, I was mistaken. I have seen this door before. I just forgot all about it, because this is the part of the post office where we hold mail for people who are going away for their vacation, and no one ever remembers to do that. The fact that Marilyn called earlier today is a weird coincidence, but it probably got me thinking about things, and that's why I'm realizing now that this door is here. He then went into that room and said, oh, there's plenty of room to hold Marilyn's mail. He started holding her mail. And then, of course, he got the devastating news that she was dead. This upset him greatly. He had to go to an analyst. And that analyst said, what do you think it means that Marilyn Rose dead? And he said, well, it means to me that I spoke to someone while they were dying. And, you know, maybe that makes me a terrible person. And he said, well, why does that make you a terrible person? And that's how the therapists work. You just keep asking more questions. They stopped holding Marilyn's mail because they don't hold mail for you if you're dead. So don't kill yourself. But do, if you're going away, call the post office and say, hey, can you hold my mail for me? My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Um, Frank, that, uh, th- that Where Are They Now in History actually reminds me of one of the letters we got. I want to read to you. It is about something you said. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, regarding um, the uh, the door with no... Um, door no one had ever seen before. Yes, yes, yes. Um, here, it's a letter called Magic Man in a Magic Room. Hey, Frank. I've been thinking about your magic man in the magic room scenario from episode 151, and I'm wondering, this guy has infinite money. If you want some of it, why not just ask him if he'd share it with you? It keeps filling up anyway. Maybe you don't have to kill him for it. Maybe he'd just give you some. Before you say what a crazy jerk he is because of the gun trick and the stabbing and the trying to kill Jordan in this scenario, I think that's only one direction the story could go in. And clearly, you just kept making up his actions to counteract Jordan's responses like some terrible dungeon master who doesn't really have a plan or story in mind. Anyway, I'm mostly interested in why you didn't even consider that as an option. Sincerely, Gabe. Well, okay, no, no, well, see, you can't, you can't challenge me on these things and then twist it around. Like, why, you're saying, well, why don't, why don't you just ask about that? Well, yeah, he is a jerk, and he does have all the guns, and he, you know, this is a guy who's, who's made it his life's mission to go around traveling from building to building trying to get into this weird game of gun, chicken, Russian roulette hybrid with people, uh, uh, shooting at, you know, I mean, he's got a weird death wish, clearly. Yeah, yeah, has explored in, in Rory's kind of series, uh, exploring the idea. What? I mean, Rory, like over the last, you know, couple episodes, he's been telling more, more and more exploits of this man. Really? Yeah, did you not notice? Well, no, I, I wasn't, I kind of stopped listening to those. You, you, but that was, I mean, you, that was part of the whole thing. You were saying that he, was talking about things that were going on. So he was talking about my idea? Well, I mean, I assumed you were talking about his idea. No, I came up with that idea. Well, it, it doesn't matter. The point is, yes, he's got this weird death wish. He is a jerk. If you walked into the room and said, he goes, hey, I've got this bag full of infinite money. And then if I just said, can I have some of the infinite money? I mean, it's infinite, so you're never going to run out. Can I just can I just dump like loads and loads and loads of it out into the hall where I can then scoop it up at my leisure? Well, he, yeah, he would have said no, no, absolutely not. It's my bag with my money, my infinite money. So forget it. Actually, that brings up a good question. If it's infinite money, what about serial codes? What do you mean? Well, the money that is printed all has serial codes. So either he's going to be you know pulling out money that has 
duplicate serial codes and is going to be considered counterfeit money. Or he's pulling out serial codes that don't exist, in which case, if anybody looks at it, they're going to go, that's not real money. That's, that's again, counterfeit money. Very well made. Looks like the right kind of paper, etc. But the serial code doesn't exist. It's not real money. Or he's pulling out ones that have the real serial codes, which are what? Like being teleported from banks into his thing, meaning he's actually stealing the money when he pulls it out of that bag? Well, I mean, okay. Realistically speaking, it's probably the th- the third. It's probably that when he reaches into the bag, he's reaching into a magic teleportation you know, device, really, that will summon money from elsewhere. So, yes, if you were in a particular bank vault at that time, uh, kind of at random, you might say, hey, wait, some of the bills just... Some of the bills just vanished from that roll. And then, like, then they have a roll. They'll go, no, this roll is short. This doesn't have all the money in it. Um, or maybe even whole, if he's, if he's grabbing for whole bricks of money, maybe in a whole brick at once. But the point is, yeah, in the, in the banks, it'd be disappearing and you, it would be really stealing. But no one would be able to prove it was you. Well, again, if they had kept track of the, the serial numbers, they would. Yeah, but what, so if they're marked bills. Yeah, but how would you know if you pull, how would you know if you're pulling marked bills? They, they have trade, they have registered those. Serial numbers as, you know, so that they can be like, what's happening in this money? Why is it vanishing? Who's stealing it and how? And then you go and you try to spend this money. I mean, you know what? All in all, again, I stand by my decision that I don't try to kill this guy and rob him. Because if I am able to subdue him with that gun, I can bring him to justice. And I can say, this guy has this money thing. I don't know what the deal is with that man. Is he producing counterfeit money or is he stealing real money? Either way, it's illegal. This guy's got to go to jail, and he seems to be killing people on a pretty regular basis. So, I stand by my decision. I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to bring him to justice. <sighs> All right, fine. Uh, you know, just just because you won't do anything for money. I thought you learned your lesson that that was not a good thing. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. I guess I, I wouldn't do anything for money anymore either, so. Now, <sighs> anyway... Um, got another letter here about your marriage, I think. Um, oh, great. Yes. Uh, dear Mr. Sinjin, I just heard... Wh- uh, wait, hold, so wait, who's this letter for? Well, uh, Frank, I mean, this letter's for you. It's... You're, you're technically, legally, Mr. Sinjin. Oh, come on. I, I didn't want him to talk about that on the podcast. But he did, and now... Okay, well, dear Mr. Sinjin... I have just heard about your very public marriage to your extremely wealthy new husband, and I was extremely moved. Diogenes has long been a source of speculation in the society papers, and I think it is glorious both for you and the cause of gay rights that you and he have finally solemnized your union with such publicity. As a pioneer of gay marriage rights, and bearing in mind that your husband may be too frail for the task, I think you would be an ideal candidate for the guest of honor and keynote speaker at our annual dinner. Would you consider the possibility? Mildred Ponadelnik, chairwoman, the National Gay and Lesbian Radio and Television Professionals Country Club Association. What? Are you serious? Um, am I serious? The NGLRTPCA just asked me to speak at their dinner. You've heard of them before? Yeah. Well, you haven't? You did radio. Well, yeah, but I'm not gay. Well, neither am I, but they're a very powerful. I can't believe you don't. Oh, okay. Well, look. oh my God, Mildred. Thank you so much. I, I absolutely want to be speaking at any of your events. All of your events. I would, I, I mean, as a pioneer of gay marriage rights, uh, I am somebody who could totally keynote speak at your dinner. That would be amazing. Hey, but Frank, we've just, we've just said you're not gay. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm still a pioneer of gay rights. And in fact, I can talk about how, you know, I, as a straight man, you know, it, it's, it's, how much more meaningful is it really when a straight man 
marries another man in in the service of gay rights then if just i mean if two gay guys get married who cares right they already want to get married so it's like that's not a, it's not a burden for them but if a straight guy does it he must really care about you know rights and things like that you know uh, I, seriously the nglrtpca is some i've been i mean i've long lamented my straightness at wanting to be a part of such a great and powerful organization but i mean of course i am straight so just so everybody knows yes i am straight but th i mean seriously like i said how it's a straight guy getting gay married that's like that's like a burden Think of all the indignities he's got to suffer. Think of all the, well, I don't want to go into the gay sex, but think about, you know, obviously it has to happen legally. There's an the contract. All the, all the things I have to go through, but I am a pioneer. Oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And I will, you know what? I will waive my speaking fee. I will waive my speaking fee to speak at your dinner because I am very excited to be a part of the NGLRTPCA. I think it is amazing that you want me to be there, and I want so very much to be there. And you're probably right. Diogenes is, you know, as he said many times, he's super ill. I probably won't bring him, but I am excited to be there. Tell me when and where it is, and I will show up as fast as humanly possible. I mean, not, I'm not saying I'll show up now if it's in two months from now, but I'm whenever I'll be there on time and I'll talk about it because I am. You, I, you get what I'm saying. My point is, I accept. I accept your offer. It's an amazing offer. Seriously, the NGLRTPCA is something I've long thinking about. How can I infiltrate? I mean, I didn't want to infiltrate because I'm like, I'm not going to pretend to be gay in order to just get in part of a group. No, it would take lots of money for that. No, I no, I never pretended to be gay. I never said I wanted. Okay, I, uh, the point is, Mildred, yes, Miss Panel, what is it, Jordan? Panadelnik. Miss Panadelnik, Mrs. 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 Pan Mildred, thank you so much, Madam Chairwoman. I, I accept your offer humbly and graciously and thrilledly. Uh, yes, yes, very much so. Wow, okay, <laughs> that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. Um, let's see, what time is it? Okay, it looks like our guest is not supposed to be here for another... 15 or so minutes, so I think we've got time for another episode of a show. Uh, this is our newest series, Kentwood. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. It's kind of, I mean, for those of you who don't know what it is yet, it's kind of a twisted take on uh, the Sherlock Holmes mythology where instead of a, a, a detective uh, and a doctor who are, are, are out to solve crimes, it's kind of a uh, pair of unscrupulous college professors who kind of casually solve mysteries while trying to do terrible things like blackmail and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully you will enjoy it. Uh, let's listen to Kentwood and then have some more history right now. Kentwood. Episode 4. Asset Protection by Jacob Thompson. Professor Kentwood was a detective extraordinaire, and by the late 1980s, he'd proven it often enough that he regularly entertained offers to work off campus. That was how we ended up in Omnishop one afternoon. Welcome to Omnishop. How may I help you? You know very well what I want you to do, you time-wasting grandstander. Here is today's special. We shall see how special this so-called special is. Have a nice day. Why did you even accept their literature, Professor Kentwood? Omnishop's an evil corporate store that's full of offensive poor people, and realizing that I'm disgusted by these people fills me with liberal guilt. 
Keep your distasteful confessions to yourself, Daniel. This store has a problem with stolen merchandise, and I've got an appointment with the store manager in his office. In the meantime, you must collect the items on my shopping list. I've never felt so much like your butler. If butling it be, butle on. Elsewise, we must make repeat trips to this place you so despise. I searched every corner of the carnivorous, unfamiliar store. No associates could help me. Professor Kentwood's handwriting was nearly impossible to read, a gnarled scrawl as unreadable as his thoughts. He also favored products that had not been manufactured since World War II. When I got to housewares, a beautiful woman emerged from behind an end cap. I literally could not turn away and stumbled into her. Oh, I'm sorry for being in the way. No problem, ma'am. You, you look familiar. Were you one of my students? Are you Sabigo? It's pronounced Sabago, as in Bay of Pigs, not Beehive. Do you know anything on this shopping list, by the way? This list is crazy. Hold on. I need to check on something. I never noticed how pretty you are when you're in my class. Oops, I shouldn't have said that out loud. It's okay, Dr. Sabigo. But I'm going to seem like I'm kind of an airhead because I'm a secret shopper. And we're surrounded by people who are stealing. I don't think the customer is always right, so I'm offering you my apology for my sexist words. I'm used to campus sexual harassment code, so I still can't believe I said that. Wait, another one just walked away. Attention, Buddy Bob, you got a walker by the door. Wow, you're busy. It's, a, it's amazing how many thieves hang out around an innocent woman who's only shopping for food and services for her hypothetical family. I think I know one of those guys. Well then stop him from stealing, Dr. Sabigo! I chased down the man that I recognized. He was Dr. Grackle, president of my university and a constant source of trouble. What are you doing here, Sabago? Why did Kentwood drag you here? I'm trying to keep you from stealing. Now come on, if they paid me more, I promise you that I would not have to supplement my income. You make quite a bit more than I do. The president of a university raises money and has to be the man whenever he is in public. When you got a bunch of hookers and blow, you walk like you're ten feet tall and can get all those donors to open their wallets. Everything I do, therefore, pays for itself, so stop interfering with my time-honored methods. Why are you stealing batteries? Does it matter? Dr. Kentwood knows everything I do, and he can just put it on my tab. So you're like a Calvinist who ponders whether to act on the dictates of his better angels before an all-knowing god? That kind of thing is why I don't talk to you. Goodbye. Coming to the conclusion, as I did, that the notably attractive woman was drawing shoplifters to the store, I looked for Professor Kentwood. It took several minutes, but I found my way to the office where Kentwood was speaking. Daniel! How dare you intrude upon my summation! You elevate bad timing to an art form! Do go on. Those skid marks left on the floor attracted my attention, for I saw there was no obstruction that prompted the sudden turn. It could have been just another worker in the way. People block those fire exits all the time. Perhaps, but taken in tandem with the other pertinent facts. I was inspired to examine the return pallets with no assistance from your surly employees. During my search, I discovered the following. A box of Christmas ornaments? Open the box. It is surprisingly heavy. A bomb! Don't fear it. 
It shall not detonate for at least six hours unless you drop it. As for your merchandise theft, I believe Daniel was attempting to raise that subject when he rudely interrupted me. Well, fellows, I think one of your secret shoppers is so physically attractive that people are trying to steal just to get her attention. That's just silly. Perhaps Daniel lacks the gravity to be taken seriously, but if you doubt me, I suggest you read my recent monogram concerning the tendency of the physically deformed to seek physical love through crime. I'll give it a look if I have time. I think you're talking about Kelly? She is easy on the eyes. I'll try transferring her to a different store, and if the problems follow her, we'll just have to trump up some reason to let her go. Life's hard for the beautiful people. Could you try getting her to work for a rival company so they get robbed? I think your little servant has a good idea. He does, occasionally. Wait a minute. You never told me who tried to bomb us. As soon as I return to my office, I shall send you and the police a detailed answer to that very question. One of my students, however, demands my attention at four o'clock. She will, you need not worry, live to regret it. Oh, come on. Daniel, we are leaving. And on our way out the door, that greeter spoke to us again. But first, what about that shopping list you gave me? As you may have suspected from the outset, hippograss, English oil, tennis spanks, prescription bluegrass, and Dr. Mugwump's patented gland juice are either fictitious or products of a bygone era. I did expect the search for these various non-existent goods to lead to all corners of the store, where somewhere you would find this Kelly. I saw Grackle. Where don't we see Grackle? I fear the time has come to tighten his leash. I hope you had a lovely day in Omni Shop. It went as well as I suppose it could go. I heard that you got some disappearing and positively explosive sales. Miss Greenbow, I don't believe you could have hinted more broadly. The shabby state of your grammar shames us all. Sure it does. Did you get what you wanted? Naturally. Good day. What was that about? Miss Maggie Greenbow already solved the shoplifting crisis and deduced approximately where the bomb would be. She passed her solutions to me as we walked into the store. I had no idea she was a detective. She is, but of the armchair variety. As this case affected her work environment, she brought me to the store to resolve matters and bypass the repercussions of office politics. So she's a genius who works at Omnishop? Do not make extravagant claims, Daniel. She can perceive the apparent. A rare enough skill in and of itself. And thus, I was done with Omnishop for many a year, and Professor Kentwood returned to his office on time. In the meantime, Kelly eventually lost her secret shopper job, but went on to work as an undercover vice cop. Maggie Greenbow solved cases anonymously for years, until now, because I may have just broke her cover. I went on vacation within a few months, which surprisingly became the setting of another episode of Kentwood. See you there. In that episode of Kentwood, Professor Eldridge Kentwood was Jacob Thompson, Dr. Daniel Sebago was Charles Berman, Maggie Greenbow was Julia Kelly, Kelly was Sarah Diaz, Grackle was Jordan Randall, and the manager was Greg D'Angelo. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. Back on August 12th, 1981, IBM's first PC is completed. The new product sold 136,000 units in its first year and a half of release, propelling the company's stock on an upward climb that peaked later in the decade. Wow, totally rad! Computers have come out! Huh, I think I'll buy one. Cha-ching! 
I got a computer now. This looks like a great bike helmet. I'll open it up and hollow it out. <laughs> now, to ride around town with my new cool PC. Hey, Jimmy, want to go ride bikes? Yeah, I'll put on my helmet. It's really a computer. Totally rad. Whoa, that looks like the latest. Can I have one? Sure, buy a computer. Ching, ching. Here's yours. Hollow it out. Put it on your head. Awesome. Dude, Let's ride around. I look totally awesome. Tubular. Excellent. Gnarly. Let's ride bikes. Ding, ding. Whee! Ding, ding. Hey, oh, look. Oh, no, I'm about to walk in front of these bicyclists. Ah! Running into her. Scram. Screech. Screech. Ah. Ow, that hurt my head. I'm bleeding and I'm dying. That computer didn't work as a helmet. Bogus. Good thing I was wearing my helmet when walking, which <laughs> isn't a computer. You'll be happy to know that those children didn't die. But it was close. Make sure that you wear the proper sporting equipment when you do some sort of sporting thing, not a hollowed-out computer or any other makeshift devices. Your life could depend on it, or serious injury could depend on it, as in the case with these children. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But scree slam right where you are! My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And yes, let's talk more about that woman who was walking down the street wearing a helmet. Rory, you might say to me, you do not need a helmet to walk down the street. When you're walking down the street, you shouldn't expect that you're going to be crashed into by bicyclists. Well, this woman was, in fact, a very special woman, for she had learned throughout the course of her life that she was, in fact, so attractive that anyone who saw her would immediately be overwhelmed by the sexual nature of her being and would be distracted and are compelled to steer themselves directly into her. So as she just would be walking down the street, she was constantly being smashed into by bicyclists, car drivers, pilots of planes if she was near water. Boats would come up on shore because the person driving them would see her and go, my goodness, what the world? And crash. And so she knew in her mind, she's a very special case. You do not need to walk down the street wearing a helmet, but she knew I, unlike everyone else, have a different experience of walking. Therefore, I need to wear a helmet when I walk down the street. And in fact, not just a helmet, but an entire full-body padded suit you know, that keeps me very safe. So even if I go flying through the air because I'm hit by a car, I will land safely in this amazingly cushioned device, which is not a cushion because of any painful gay sex, but a cushion because just, you know, it makes you comfortable when you land. Even so, she was so attractive that just the bit of her you could see through that helmet and padded costume was just so attractive that that's why those two children crashed. They didn't understand the sexual feelings that they were feeling, that they knew that they were compelled immediately to steer into that woman and steer into her they did. If only they were wearing the proper sporting equipment, they would have been okay too. My name is Roy Sinjin and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Casting Wax. Okay, welcome back. Welcome back. That was very interesting and exciting. Um, now, we're just waiting for our special guest. He should be here any minute. Um... I guess uh, I still I don't want to tell you guys who it is. It's very it's I'm excited to meet this person. But come on, just tell us. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm excited. I it's, I wanted to, I want us all to react naturally and spontaneously and stuff. So okay, Frank, Scape is asleep, isn't he? Yeah, <sighs> whatever. It's fine. Um, all right. Uh, you know what? Here's I got a letter here from a good friend of the show, our friend Lynn Nelson. Uh, let's see what it says. Jordan, I'm writing to you through an encrypted connection. I need your help. I was abducted five days ago. A pretty classic bait and switch with my limo driver, actually. This may as well be a movie. I am not being harmed so far. I'm somewhere in Europe, I believe, but I'm not sure where. I do not recognize any of the people I interact with, but I've heard some names thrown around that make me suspect some very high-level people are involved. That's all I will risk putting in writing for now. The most important thing right now is that these people are looking for John Baptiste. I believe they want to kill him, and they seem to think I can help 
find him. I'm trying to keep it that way, both for my safety and to try to gain some inside information. So far, they are providing me with very nice accommodations and letting me keep most of my possessions, though I am under moderate surveillance. I will do my best to contact you when I can. In the meantime, please help me get word to Jean-Baptiste as well as to a reporter named Martin at the Washington Post in the Politics Division. He's the only Martin in that division. You'll be able to find him. He will know what to do. Thank you. Hopefully, I'll be in touch soon. Wow, I wasn't expecting such a serious letter from Lynn. Yeah, she's been abducted. That's pretty insane. I mean, what are we going to do about it? Well, I, I mean, I guess we got to get in touch with Jean-Baptiste and Martin and... Um, oh, oh, that's him. Okay, guys. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me go get him. I, I never I never expected this I never expected this but uh it's it, it's Rory he's alive can I sit here can I sit here and use this microphone yeah yeah okay no now listen no no please relax are you serious no no now listen please everyone just breathe you know carefully and, and deeply I I'm not Rory Sinjin well come on I'm not I'm not I knew I was afraid this would happen I knew we do look very similar. You look exactly the same. You are him. You are clearly him. No, no, no. I, my name is Reggie Sinclair. What? What are you talking about? Jordan, you and I have been contacting each other through email, and we set up this appointment to meet in person. Yeah, well, but that's, but, but you're, but you're Rory. You're Rory and you're alive. No, no. Listen, no. I'm afraid I'm not. I, Rory, it's very tragic. Died of a heart attack, and I am his cousin, his identical cousin, Reggie Sinclair, uh, who has inherited most of his wealth and who is continuing to send you episodes of Where Are They Now in History. Uh, but I am a different human being than he is entirely, and, you know, I have lots of proof of that fact. Seriously? You're his cousin? Yes, absolutely. Totally. Uh, it's 100% the truth. I promise but you. But you look exactly. I knew, I knew, and it is a problem. For, for people who have have known us both, you know, they get us confused. But um, but it, I I guarantee you, it's true. My name is Reggie Sinclair. I have an, a license here. You know, here. Take a look. Here's my here's my here's my driver's license. And if you see when it was issued, well, that's like five years ago. Yes. And and because I was here five years ago, getting my license here in New York. Oh. So so you're Rory's cousin. Yes. Reggie Sinclair. Yes. Now you're understanding. Yes. Different people. I do have Rory's entire fortune at this point. And, you know, I am the custodian of his works, of his extra historical works, but I am a different person. Bullshit. I'm sorry. I do, I do not. Okay, you know what? We're doing something we have not done in a long time. Jordan, cue it. What am I? Just hit it right now. Oh, uh, uh oh, okay. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen and we are here doing an investigative report as we often do on Frank Allen Interviews. We have with us an imposter. Now, hold on. Well, we have here an alleged imposter. Who's making the allegations? I am, Frank Allen. This man says his name is Reggie Sinclair, but we all know him better as Mr. Rory Sinjin. Say hello, Rory. Well, I'm not going to say hello, Rory, because I am not Rory. I am Reggie Sinclair, a.k.a. Reginald Sinclair as my full first name. All right, Mr. Sinclair, you are telling me that our friend Rory Sinjin died and left everything he owned to you, a cousin who he never mentioned to us ever before. Well, yes, of course I am. How can you explain that? How can you explain that he felt close enough to you to leave you everything he owned, but he never once mentioned you to us? Well... 
It's not like you were friends. Ah, uh, yeah, but we worked together a lot. Right, but you didn't like each other very much, did you? How would you know that if you're not Rory? Because he and I were close, and he told me all about you. He said the two of you fought often. I, To be honest with you, I defended you and said, No, you know, Frank sounds like a decent fellow, but he told me, No, Frank is a deplorable human being. I hate everything about him. He smells sometimes. I lived with him for a time. It was disgusting. You know, he, he says lots of... Really, really hurtful and dreadful things about you. But that, to me, seems like a good reason that he wouldn't want to share the intimate details of his life with you because he didn't like you at all. All right, all right, fine. That's fair. But what about Jordan? Well, Jordan, you know, they had a professional relationship and he liked Jordan very much, but I don't see that that necessarily says why he has to talk about all parts of his family. I'm sure Jordan never told Rory about every single part of his family. Jordan, is that true? About every part of my... No, I, I have lots of cousins I've never mentioned on the show. All right, well, okay, fine. Let's, but let's put that aside. But would you leave all of your money to your cousin? Probably not. Although I don't even know if I've mentioned my brothers and sisters on the show. You have brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, I have two brothers and two sisters. Well, I mean half. Two half brothers, two half sisters. Really? Yeah, maybe I... Did I never mention it before? No. No, you didn't. Oh. Uh, I didn't... I didn't... I didn't know that. It's true. It's true. Huh. All right, well, okay, fine. Yeah, but, okay. All right. Let's leave that entirely aside for a moment, though, and talk about the fact that you are identical. And I mean literally identical. I, I'm looking at you, and I, I, I sat across this exact same recording studio from Rory many, many times, and I'm looking at you, and you are looking exactly the way he does. You are you're sitting in the same position that he would. You're putting your arm up on the chair the exact same way he often would do in that exact same chair. You are leaning towards the microphone the same way he did. You are identical Gentlemen. Yes, like I said, we're cousins. Right, and that's not a thing. I'm sorry? Yeah, identical cousins is not a thing. Identical is brothers, and that's a, a certain kind of twin that is identical. No, 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 no. I'm, no, but identical cousins, it is a thing. Um, it's from the Patty Duke Show. Have you ever heard of that? It's a, a very documented, well-documented case of it. What? The show, the Patty Duke Show? Um, let me look. I, I think I've heard of it. I'll Google it. Yes, uh, yes, click right there. Click on that, that uh, YouTube link. Uh, okay. Yes, play this, please. Yeah, right here. Here it is. Yes, this is the one. This is a girl named Kathy. And she's very exotic. And then, see, this is her cousin Patty from Brooklyn Heights. They're cousins. Identical cousins. All the way. Matching bookends, like, because bookends that are the same, but they're different internally. So, you, you could stop it now. Okay, okay. So, you could see, there was uh, two cousins, one who has traveled the world, one who has stayed in just one place. But they are exactly identical, they look exactly alike. And he's right, Frank, they look, I, I can't, it's very difficult to tell them apart, they're wearing different styles of clothes. Yeah, but him and him and Rory don't even wear different styles of clothes. That's the way Rory would dress. Well, yes, in this case, we both were identical cousins who had similar upbringing experiences, and therefore we actually ended up very much the same in many ways. So you and Rory share style of dress, you share, share way of talking, you have the same accent. Did you grow up in the same part of England? Very nearby, yes. Okay, and, uh, you know, what What else? What else do you share? We're, we're, you know, we're both, we're both interested in things like, you know, radio production, I used to do some on other places, and um, in addition, we're both interested in a subject I'm sure Rory's talked to you about, extra history? Wait, what? 
You both do extra history? Well, yes, of course. That's, that's why Rory felt comfortable leaving his extra historical works in my care. That, you, you, you both coincidentally are into extra history. Yes. I mean, I would say because we are so genetically similar, I'm sure we had a genetic predisposition to an interest in extra history. But that aside, yes, we both are interested in extra history and we had many long conversations about the practices and, you know, craft thereof. And that is why Rory felt comfortable leaving to me, in addition to all his wealth, all of his works. Um, that is why I have all of his works of this day in history and where are they now in history. And I am able to send you the the days in history that he worked on before his death that he pre-recorded and that he entrusted to me to get to you so that the show would go on no matter if anything happened to him which unfortunately something did happen to him as we all know he died of a heart attack yes on uh, christmas eve right uh, we know we all know that uh, well we all thought we knew that until now when we are discovering that in fact it was an elaborate hoax in fact let's talk about this let's talk about the concept of if Rory Sinjin did stage his own death, shall we, for one moment? Well, I, you know, I don't know why we would do such an intellectual exercise. Oh, oh, don't you? Well, okay, how about this? Let's talk about another world. A world where Rory Sinjin did stage his own death. Oh, you want to do extra history? Yes. That's, that, that's, that's wonderful. I, I, that makes me feel good that perhaps some good came from Rory's death, because I know in his life, he told me you were very against extra history. So the fact that in him dying, you've become more open-minded to the subject. No, I'm not open. I'm Okay, just let's talk about another world then for one moment. Let's talk about a world where Rory faked his own death, okay? All right, let's do that. In that world where Rory faked his own death, it's a very, everything else is the same. And one can look at our world and find, in fact, well, why would Rory fake his own death? Hmm, let's think about this. Was he trapped by a uh, terrible contract he signed? Well, you would know about that. Well, I'll, okay. But Rory was trapped by a terrible contract that he signed, wherein he signed himself over to the Loveburgo Hirohito Institute, saying that he would work for them, and that if he ever were to break this contract, the penalty, the forfeit, would be his entire wealth. Now, the contract did not include him working for the company after his own death, of course. His death would trigger the end of the contract. Rory was trapped in a job where they had forced him to go out into a field, naked, drunk, and crap the ground, and then chart the... You know, it was a very miserable job. Oh, I, do, I know, it was absolutely a very miserable job, and I, I felt a tremendous amount of sympathy for Rory, but I do know... That Rory was, in fact, devoted to doing that job the best he could. He told me often, this is a job I care about. This is a job that, even though it sounds terrible, and it is terrible, in fact, it is real work and extra history, and I would never dream of breaking this contract. Right, no, of course, in our world, but in that world, in another world, where he might see this contract and say, well, this is a terrible thing. How can I get out of it? Oh, there's a there's a, 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 a clause that says if I die, the contract is fulfilled. So if I die and leave my fortune to someone else, who is another identity that I can set up for myself. Well, that, no, that wouldn't make any sense because in, in that other world that you talked about, in that other world you said everything is the same except he faked his own death. Right. Well, I already existed in that other world then I, I, because, you know, like I said, here's my license five years ago. That proves that I was here at least five years ago. Yeah, but that kind of document can be forged. All, all right. Well, um, hold on. Let me, let me just grab my briefcase here. Um, here's my, here's my, my college diploma. Oh, okay. No, that looks... And it says Reginald St. Clair. Well, Sinclair. Right. Still, I know that, I mean, again, 
it's an elaborate forgery. Or again, the, the amount of money you have, you could pay the college to just legitimately print you one with an old date on it. All right, um, here is um, here's a picture of me watching Lady Diana's funeral. Well, but that could easily be a picture of Rory watching Lady Diana's funeral. No, no, actually, hold on. I have here. Uh, here is a picture of Rory watching Lady Diana's funeral with his mother. Oh. Yeah, you're right, and that's the same picture on their television too. So it's right around the same time. Precisely. Well, well, but you could have just you could have just had a tape of her funeral and watched it later. Why would I tape her funeral? Do you think I'm I'm a, I'm a sick person and I want to watch a funeral of someone so wonderful over and over again? I'm just saying that that kind of evidence can be doctored. All right. Well, here's a picture of me and Rory last year at a wedding. Wow. Yeah. That. That looks real. Because it is real. So that's you. No, actually, that's that's Rory. Oh. that That's Rory, and that's you over here. Yes, yes, yes. Well, okay, that... But people can do amazing things with doctored photos at this point. I, look, I'm just saying... Okay, look. There is another world where everything you just showed me is exactly the same as it is right now, but it's still fake. Because you're actually Rory, and you faked your own death, and, and you left all your money to quote-unquote, your cousin, who is actually you. Well, uh, yes. Frank, I think this is a dreadful misuse of extra history. What do you mean? Technically, all of the things you're saying are true, but it's an irresponsible use of extra history because extra history is there to make people feel better about things. You are using it to prove a point that you think is true, which is not. I am not Rory Sinjin. I am his cousin, Reggie. Reggie Sinclair. No, that's... Look, I'm... Frank, but... Frank, I understand. I understand. What? I understand what's going on. And what's that? Rory died, and you miss him much more than you thought you would. Well, I... It's understandable. Sometimes when we fight with people, we don't realize how much they mean to us and how close we are to them. Yeah, but that that's not... It's fine, Frank. I forgive you. I forgive you, and I know Rory forgives you, too. No, that you are Rory. I'm not. I'm Reggie, but thank you for, for you know lumping me in with someone who I care so deeply about and whose talent I respect and whose wonderful contribution to the field of extra history I think is immeasurable and I only wish I could live up to his extra historical standard. The fact is, while both of us practice extra history, he was always much more successful at it than I was and, you know, I envy him that and I always have. But, Frank, I am not Rory Sinjin, I am Reggie Sinclair. I, I don't know what else I can I can do to prove to you. I've, I've shown you documents. So would you like to see? Look, I, I, I've been filing tax returns. I have my tax returns here. Yeah, that that looks like a a real U.S. tax return. Would, I mean, and would, would do you think Rory would be filing dual tax returns for multiple years? That doesn't sound like something Rory would do because that would mean he would have to pay the government um, lots of money, and I know he doesn't like that. Not to mention, I voted. For Barack Obama. Wow. Okay. Maybe you are different than Rory. Yeah, Frank, I I, I mean, I think I, I miss Rory, too, and I, I would like him back, but I, I think it's pretty clear this is his cousin. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I still don't know. It, it seems like maybe that... Maybe it could be true. Thank you. Well, okay. I mean, we can't go on until you wrap up your... Right. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for listening to Frank Allen interviews starring Frank Allen. My name is Frank Allen. Uh, and uh, I don't know when we're going to... I mean, I was kind of surprised that we did this one. So I don't know when we're going to do it again. But there will probably be more Frank Allen interviews in the future. So get ready for them. Thanks. <sighs> well, Reggie, um, 
Thank you for coming by. So, like you said, Rory left all of his works of extra history to you. You've been sending us the extra history updates. Where are they now in history? Uh, and I appreciate that because they are a valuable part of our show. It's really not a problem. And Rory really recorded all of these before he died. Yes, absolutely. Wow. I mean, that that's really impressive because, they, like I said, they, they tend to completely line up with things that are happening in our life. Like, I mean, we've had two episodes uh, earlier in the show today. One of them was, uh, first of all, it made an allusion to uh, a thing that Frank talked about, about these doors that had never been seen before. Oh, yes, yes. I, I know about that series. I, I do recall. It was a pretty impressive series that Rory worked out about the, the life of one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Right. Well, that corresponded perfectly with something Frank was talking about on the show once. And in addition, we played it right after an episode of Nathan Van Etten, where Nathan Van Etten is talking to an analyst, and it also talked about an analyst. Well, that's, I mean, that's a bit of a coincidence, I think. I guess. And then the second one we played, um, we played it after an episode of Kentwood, where Kentwood, they're talking to this woman who is so attractive that she's causing shoplifters to, to shoplift in her store because she's a secret shopper, and the, the people are seeing her and they're shoplifting. And then it was an episode of Where Are They Now in History, where a woman walking down the street is causing people to smash into her with the cars and stuff because she's so attractive. And it alluded to this thing about a pillow and the gay sex pillow that Frank has. It's not a gay sex pillow. It's just a comfort pillow. Yeah, right, right. Sorry, I'm sorry. But that was what it was alluding to. It was saying she was having a comfort, well, safety pillow rather than a gay sex pillow. Look, the point is, it still has been lining up almost perfectly. It's crazy how talented Rory was to have done that. Well, yes, like I said, he, he was an amazing extra historian. And I, I wish that I could become even half the extra historian he was. Well, I'm, I mean, if it really is genetic, uh, obviously you'll, you've got it in you because you guys are pretty much identical. <laughs> yes, well... I can only hope. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, let's keep the show rolling, I guess. Um, Frank, were we talking about something when, when Reggie showed up? I can't remember what it was. Uh, no, I don't remember. I don't remember either. Huh. All right. Well, let's, let's just move on to the next show then. Up next, we've got the return of Annie Italic, girl reporter. It was missing for uh, an episode or so. Let's hear it and see how it is. Girl Reporter, Episode 9, Pyramid Schemes, by Pete Bowers and Charles Berman. Dateline Popsburg, from the desk of any italic girl reporter, high atop Henderson Towers in Center City, in her office of the Popsburg Ledger Star Bulletin Journal, we bring you the news of the world. Commissioned by seasoned newspaper editor Eugene Seabrook, Annie Italic tracks the most thrilling events of our day with the determination of a bloodhound, poised notebook in hand for the moment of her big break. Eugene Seabrook, my editor, is great for having meetings with. You never have to say anything. And that's why I've decided tomorrow we're doing another issue of the paper. Reporters, you're all doing the same job as yesterday. Frank, you'll still be printer. Do I still get to be the sub-editor in the corner office? Stop bothering me with inane questions, Harvey. You've been the sub-editor in the corner office for years. Why would anything change today? You never know when something exciting will happen. Um, I guess I'm fired, right? I never liked working here anyway. Photography is so self-revealing and there's nothing to affirm my worth. Or wouldn't be if I had any. See? Sorry, Johnny, you're not fired. But you are, Louise. Johnny, clean her up. And don't take any photos. Finally, something menial whose quality can't be evaluated. 
Now, as far as news today, there wasn't any. So, John, sit here in the meeting room all day and do nothing. Okay. Talking is doing something. Mm-hmm. Susie, you'll be covering the Betsy Jane Livingston case. Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf. What about her? She's not playing today because she's still alive, and she's not missing. But she might go missing later. And there's your story. Find out everything you can about how missed she would be if she did go missing. And how much we would hate the perpetrator. This kidnap watch begins today. You got it, Eugene Seabrook, newspaper editor. You would have to be the kind of mean person who'd kidnap a little girl to even think of kidnapping Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf, after I've used my investigating steps to find out how much she would be missed. And Annie, that's the only story going on, so I want you to take all the files out of the filing cabinet, transfer them into that cabinet, and then transfer them back again. Gene, even you must see that that's pointless. Of course I do, Annie. And I'm not stupid. If I had something with a point for you to do, I'd ask you to do it. Do you want to come with me, Annie Italico reporter? This is a story with nothing happening in it, so it's just like one of the ones you do after they take all the weird things out. (sighs) I never thought I'd say this. But yes. All right, Annie, but those files still better be back where they started by the end of this day. We arrived at the house after an interminable ten-minute car ride with Susie. On the bright side, I got to explain why someone would want to run a red light. When I got there, I decided to let Susie do the investigating because she was the one assigned to the story. Hello? Oh, you live at Marty Livingston's address, and you're a man. Are you Marty Livingston? Uh, yeah. Who are you? Susie Sanserif, younger girl reporter. Then her, Annie Italic girl reporter, I'm investigating for her story. If somebody kidnapped your daughter, Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf, would you miss her? Oh, yes, of course I'd miss her. What are you talking about? Your daughter, Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf. I'll make a note that you'd miss her. So if someone was to kidnap your daughter, Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf, how would you feel about them? Are you f***ing serious? What kind Hey, of- neighbor. <sighs> Hi, Stan. Just thought I'd stop by. Almost got hurt, though. You should really watch out for that hole in your yard. What hole am I? Damn, mummy! Anyway, just wanted to mention my dog had puppies. You want one? Puppies? It's normal to like puppies. You want to see? Well... I've already found out my first fact, and now I'll find out that Betsy Jane Livingston, the girl who plays golf's neighbor, has puppies. Annie, you want to come? Uh, I'm allergic. That's okay, Annie Italic Girl Reporter. Not everyone is normal. Like you. It's normal for there to be people who aren't normal. Go look at the dogs. It's this way. Sorry about her. Uh, that's okay, I guess. Was she planning on kidnapping my daughter? Well, I'd like to say no, but... Okay, no. We're really from the paper. Slow news day and slow reporter. Wish I could say the same thing. Oh? Got attacked by that mummy again this morning. What? I said I got attacked by that mummy again this morning. Want to come inside? It's pretty hot out. Get the f*** out of town! Uh, I live here. You coming in? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Here we go. Have a seat. Here's my daughter, Betsy Jane Livingstone, the girl who plays golf. Oh, hey, Betsy. Hi, cynical lady. So, you like golf, huh? No. Oh, so what's the deal with this mummy, then? I don't know. He's dad's. He hates him. Let me rephrase my question. Marty, 
What's the deal with this mummy? The mummy? The mummy? You mean Mento to help the Egyptian mummy? He's over there. See him? You mean that only Egyptian mummy in the house? Yes, he's dead. Desiccated in a sarcophagus with the hieroglyphics on it. Covered in bandages, immersed in dust of ages past. I know. He's right there. I can see him. Oh, right. Well, he doesn't seem to be doing much right now, does he? No. That was a rhetorical question. He definitely doesn't. He's as still as someone who's been dead for a thousand years, which he has. But by night, by night, he's my eternal plague. I suspect like all Egyptian mummies, he is cursed by the curse of the Egyptian mummy. Okay, I can see the logic there. The curse of the Egyptian mummy has caused large, dangerous holes to appear in my yard and large, dangerous shovels to appear next to them. It has caused crap to appear in my yard as well. Small, malodorous turds that resemble the productions of dogs. It has caused many pizzas to arrive at my door, far more than I'm hungry for, and a bill requesting that I pay for them. It has caused my phone to ring night and day with ghostly voices at the end that ask, Is this your refrigerator running? He has caused my mailbox to shut off its post time and time again, and the things he does to my car. Letting air out of the tires, putting sugar in the gas tank, letting air out of the tires. And a summoned cursed Egyptian for sale signs to put in my yard. It causes my Sunday paper to disappear before I can read it, and then reappear with the comics missing. Why don't you get rid of the mummy? And desecrate the dead? Uh, forgive me for saying this, but this mummy's pranks sound kind of... Like, not your average mummy prank. I don't know. This is my first mummy. I picture them, I don't know, causing boils to appear on your skin, disease to ravage your family. Wow, that's terrible. I know. It's like a curse of an ancient mummy. These are more like the curse of the ancient frat boy. That's just silly. I don't know any ancient frat boys. Marty. If he's so cursed, why do you have a mummy? Got him on eBay? Where do you get your mummies? I don't have a mummy. You don't? That's odd. No, it's really not. But this could be a much better story than that you'd miss your daughter if she were kidnapped. Don't give it ideas. Now I have to padlock the doors. I'll start in back. So, troublesome mummy, huh? Seems that way. Funny about that curse. Eh, probably somebody playing a prank. <laughs> Stan. Ah, yeah? Did you just break into your neighbor's house and start gluing coins on the floor? Because that's really what it looked like. Uh, yes. You know, he's not going to be able to pick those up, right? <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I've deduced you're the one pulling all the pranks, not the mummy. You found me out. Yeah, kind of figured it was something like that. Just out of curiosity. Why are you doing this? You met Marty? Yeah, we're in his house. He's in the other room. All my plotting, all my elaborate plans, all my well-calculated devices have been to screw with him. But why? I hate that guy. That's it? No revenge? No payback? Nothing? This is just because you hate the guy. Yes. Well, let's work for Harvey. Well, I gotta go. Bye. Oh, Christ, Susie. Yes, any I tell a girl reporter? Listen, you can just call me a... What are you doing? 
Oh, sorry, ah, uh, I'm helping out. Stan noticed that Marty's yard was full of dog crap, so he suggested I should cover it with this toilet paper to wipe it up. Let's go back to the office. Okay, ah, uh, I'll come back for you after I fill the car with these dogs you're allergic to. Stan said he was trying to give them away, so I took them. Now, I just have to find someone who wants six dogs. Wait, wouldn't it make more sense to take me back? Huh. Who am I talking to? So, the dander in the car had me sneezing for weeks. And Jean printed Susie's story about how Betsy Jane Livingstone, the girl who plays golf, would verifiably be missed if she were kidnapped. And what a nice neighbor she had. Overall, I'd say not a total loss. If it weren't a total loss. Which it was. In that episode of Annie Italic, Girl Reporter, the announcer was Mickey Weishner, Annie Italic was Angela Schwartz, Eugene Seabrook was Jack Kunrat, Harvey was Jordan Randall, Johnny Simmons was Pete Bowers, John Impact was Ed Jones, Susie Sanserif was Cheryl Casey, Marty Livingstone was James Gonder, Stan was Bailiff Quimby, and Betsy Jane Livingstone, the girl who plays golf, was Aaron Morrissey. Welcome to This Day in History, my name is Rory Sinden and this is WHRW Binghamton. On August 19, 1953, the Iranian military, with the support and financial assistance of the United States government, overthrows the government of Premier Mohammad Mossadegh and reinstates the Shah of Iran. Iran remained a solid Cold War ally of the United States until a revolution ended the Shah's rule in 1979. Oh, it's a good day to be Mossadegh, even though no one is pushing me in my wheelchair. Ah, it is a beautiful day. Oh, hello, sir. How are you? Good. Are you hungry? Oh, yes, very much so. Ha ha ha. Well, too bad. We won't push you across the room to where the delicious food is sitting on the table. Oh, oh, that is very rude of you. Why don't you help me? Oh, hey, look. Some food. We can give it to the Shah. What? No. No. Hey. Over here, guys. Guys. Oh. Oh. Why is the cripple waving at us? I do not know. Hail the Shah. One week later, you're still hungry, aren't you? (laughs) <laughs> Very. Well, it looks like you're about to starve to death. Oh, this is so rude. Why couldn't you have been nice to someone who is handicapped? Political reasons. Why can't you wheel yourself over to us? Oh, I can, can't I? Well, I guess you guys being rude to me actually helped me fend for myself. Here I come to the food. Oh, starvation has become me. I die now. Fooled you. Ha ha ha. More food. Chomp. And yes, Iran has a long history of being very rude to the handicapped and attempting to kill them, apparently. I didn't know until just now, but now I know. And apparently, hence the name Iran. Uh, Make sure that in your life you are considerate to the handicapped, and, you know, if you can help them, that's probably a good thing, too. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But Shah, right. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Casting Wax. And what you don't realize is that Mossadegh actually faked his own death. That's right, he faked his own death, and he had set up the character of the Shah as a second role that he could then take. He knew that the people didn't like him, he knew everyone disrespected him because he was handicapped. And he knew it was an Iranian tradition to dislike the handicapped and that it was never going to change. So he created a new identity that was completely unhandicapped called the Shah, coincidentally very similar to the previous Shah. 
and he staged his own death and then he took his rightful place as leader of Iran in this new identity of the Shah, walking around on bionic legs, which are better in many ways than regular person's legs, which is why another reason you should be nice to the handicapped, because you never know when they will replace their bodies with high-tech, better versions of their body parts, and they can kick your ass. Anyway, he was trying to get out from under this terrible burden, so he set up a new identity, took that one's place in the world, and carried on living a very, very happy life. Sounds like something that would be actually pretty neat to do. My name is Rory Sinjin. This is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. And thank you so much, Reggie, for reading the credits for that uh, uh, episode of Anti-Italic. It was really pleasant of you. Anyway, and thank you for providing the uh, Where Are They Now in History that we just played as well. Yes, and I did want to point out, actually, um, you, you talk a lot about, you know, Rory being spot on with his um, his extra historical predictions for those Where Are They Now in Histories, but that episode that we just heard had nothing to do with anything that's going on currently. So, uh, you know, in, that one was just perhaps a bit of a miss in that respect. So, yeah, yeah, I guess uh, I guess you're right. Well, I mean, it was about faking your own death. Right, and no one has done that, so... Well, I mean, I just accused you of being Rory and faking his death. Oh, right. Well, yes, but, but he didn't. You know, so right, but even just me mentioning it means it's it's relevant to this episode. I have I said maybe you faked your own death, and then it was about Rory. right. But I didn't fake my own death because I'm not Rory. Yeah, no, I I get it, I get your point, but I'm just saying it is still relevant. Well, if you say so. Anyway, look, my point was uh, I I mentioned that I had you read the credits for Annie Italic there, and uh, it was very nice of you to say yes. Well, of course, it's a pleasure. I I, I enjoy doing things like that. Right, I thought, and I thought you might, but I was hoping that maybe you would, um, well, I was hoping maybe you'd consider joining the podcast and being the, the fourth co-host. Oh, Jordan, I couldn't. I couldn't take Rory's place. I could never really replace him. Well, no, no, no. I, I mean, no one could ever replace Rory. We love Rory, and he has a special place in our hearts, but it's been a while. We have only had three uh, podcast hosts for a little while now, and, you know, it would be nice to have a fourth person around. Well, I mean... Honestly, it's it's an honor to be even be asked, but I couldn't. Oh, please reconsider. Is it because you live in Brooklyn and that's such a far distance for you to travel? No, it's really not so bad. I, I could just have my driver bring me over. But, you know, it... Uh, well, all right, I'll do it. I, I will. I'll be part of your podcast, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Reggie. Frank, what do you say? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. I don't care. Oh, wow. Scape, Scape, wake up, wake up. What? What? Oh, hi, Rory. Oh, hello, hello. No, no, my name's not Rory, though. It's, it's Reggie. Um, what? Oh, Scape, this is not Rory Sinjin. He looks just like him. It's uh, Reggie Sinclair is his name. You smell like Rory. Yes, yes, we both bathed with the same bathing gels, I believe. Oh, well, whatever. So I should call you Reggie now? Yes, that's my name. Fine. Well, he's going to join the podcast with us. He's going to be on with us. So it'll be me, you, Frank, and Reggie. Oh, okay, whatever. Do you need me to stay awake? Or? Well, you're supposed to generally stay awake, yes. You know, sometimes we talk about things and it's funny and all that. Yeah, I guess. Sir. Anyway, we have two more letters to get to. Uh, like I said before, email us at castinwax at gmail.com. And you have two options of how to email us. Um, you can send us a regular email and we'll be happy to read it on the air. Um, but in addition, you can also send us an audio letter. We haven't had an audio letter in quite a while. But we have an audio letter right now. And it's from a great friend of the show. And it's from a person who has had... Uh, very rich and deep contact with every single one of us. Scape, I know he's he's given you gifts. Oh? Yeah, and Frank, you've done business with this gentleman uh, a number of times. And Reggie, I actually knew you were coming uh, ahead of time, and I saved this letter because it is from 
uh, actually a relative of yours. Oh, is it? Uh, let me think. Uh, from the cruise you've given, is it? Is it? Is it my uh, my distant cousin Diogenes? No, no. Although, yes, that's a good point. You, you and Frank are actually related. I didn't even think of that. Yes, yes. T- technically, Frank by marriage. Now we are related. But no, no, that's not who it is. Okay, well, um, I'm not sure. Then who who could it? Uh, well, it's from wonderful friend of the show, Mr. Thomas Alva Edison. What? Yes, it's true. Uh, Mr. Edison is a good friend of the show, and of course, he was uh, Rory's stepfather. So, uh, I have not listened to this yet, but let's listen to it now, and we will see what he has to say. Hopefully, things are going well for him. Good evening, because if you're not listening to this at evening, it is too late. This is Thomas Alva Edison. Inventor, time traveler, wizard, pop icon, living saint, deceased saint... All-around great guy. I was watching some radio waves, because I can do that now, when I found out that another time traveler, whose name escapes me, but as soon as I capture it, it's got a lot of explaining to do. Anyway, this other time traveler was getting all up in my about how I allowed Rory Sinjin, my son, to die. So I think it's about time that we cleared the air about some things. And I blame you for this, Jordan. You personally. Because if it hadn't been played on your podcast, everything would have gone as planned. I didn't allow Rory Sinjin to die. I permitted Rory Sinjin to die. You don't know this now, but there will come a point in your life when you, inferiors, will want to be as good a father as you can, even if you're a lady, or some third gender, which I am inventing and will someday call Edison. And so I saw that I hadn't done right by Rory. No, I had not. I was his dad, and a better dad than his original dad was. That's right, Sinjin, calling you out. Or I would, if I hadn't, you know, caused you to die of cancer ten years from now. But he kept making these poor choices. Rory, I mean. And getting involved in stupid things, like extra history. Or extra history again. And so, when the moment came that he was going to die in that episode, I, Thomas Alva Edison did not do what I had done 76 times before and retconned it out of existence. Oh no, I permitted him to die. And then, do a super cool internship with God, who's a friend of mine. And I thought, now that he's had the advantage of a super cool internship with God, close personal friend of me, Thomas Alva Edison, the time should come for him to truly be my son. But, due to an ancient curse from Tesla, who is the worst person who has ever been, ever will be, or ever hasn't been, I cannot personally cause a woman to be pregnant. But... I knew several people who could. One of them was Frank Allen. So, I used my consciousness, which I can project astrally into anything, including the thing you're sitting on now, and I inhabited Frank Allen's body, and used it to impregnate my beautiful wife, Evelyn Warwick Sinjin Edison. That's right. You can't blame Frank, of course. After all, there is no way that he could perform the incredible woman-pleasing sex moves that I, Thomas Alva Edison, both invented and taught myself. Though apparently that old guy is feeling pretty well, so go... Good on you, Frank. And then, once conception had occurred, I projected Rory Sinjin's consciousness into the fledgling Blastula. And as it took shape in the womb of my beautiful wife, I molded and sculpted it, as someone who is really good at molding and sculpting things would do. And so, when the time came, he was born again, and I was going to raise him, giving him all of the love and appreciation and tenderness that I had not been able to give him because I was not yet his real father. And then, Jordan, and... Then, you go on your podcast, and you print all these slanderous, in fact, libelous, and slanderous, and also technically seditious, because I'm president, 
secret president, you understand, not real president. The real president is primarily a figurehead who gets to sign things. Secret president is Thomas Alva Edison. Big shout out to my friends at the shadow government right there. Anyway, lies that you were letting everybody hear about how I'm a bad father. So, ask and it shall be given unto you, which is in a book that I, Thomas Alva Edison, ghost wrote for my friend God. Maybe you heard of it. Very popular. Bestseller until they started writing other books. Still a bestseller. And so, using a pneumatic chamber of my own creation, I have accelerated the aging of the new child, Rory Edison, until he is now a grown-ass man. In doing so, I have also filled his mind with every perfect thought. He is now incapable of expressing an opinion that is not the best opinion on the matter. I was also conveniently able to remove all of this extra history nonsense, so you'll never hear about that again. Unless, of course, he is speaking sarcastically or making things up to amuse your cat. By the way, Scape, I hope you enjoyed that package of moist food I sent you. Speaking of things that I'm sending you, 38 seconds after this is done, you should be hearing a knock at your door. That will be Rory Edison. Yes, I kept the name Rory even if it's stupid, because it made my wife happy. I am also a better husband than you. Anyway, he is now grown and cogent and sapient and can be on your stupid podcast as much as you like. So, first of all, Margot, eat a dick. Jordan, I hope you're happy. Devin, I hope you're actually happy. Been a while. Frank, good for you on finally settling down with a dude. As soon as I heard about it, I went back in time and gave Diogenes Sinjin the urge for rough gay sex because I knew it was what you would want. And Jordan, 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 Jordan. Stop letting people talk shit about me on your podcast. Sincerely yours. Technically not sincerely yours, since I'm an autonomous entity and you're not the boss of me. So I guess facetiously yours. Thomas Alva Edison. What? I mean, that's... that's not possible. I, I, I know, that's crazy. Yeah, yes, I mean, Thomas couldn't have... I mean... Really? Well, I, I mean, I guess that solves the question of whether Rory and Reggie are the same person, right? I mean, crazy, Frank, right? He made Diogenes want to have. No, 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 no. This is this. This cannot be. This cannot be. Oh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's uh, cr crazy. I, I, it's hard to believe, but if if it's true, then. Uh, there, there he is. All right, I guess I'll go get it. Um, one sec. Hello, come on in. Hi. Come in. No, please, thank you. Thank you. I'll come right in. Uh, can, can I, can I just pull up a chair here? Is that be all right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Here, let me get myself and you both uh, s situated. So I I'm assuming that you are. Rory Edison? Yes, hello. My name is Rory Edison. Thank you so much for having me. My, my father sent me over to be on your podcast, to be the, uh, the fourth uh, member of your podcast troupe. I have been basically made specifically to be on your podcast, so hopefully I'll fit right in. Uh, let me say hi to everybody. Hi. Uh, you're, you must be Frank Allen. I know you. Uh, nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, you're Rory Edison. Yep. Yes, I certainly am. Uh, Scape, good to see you. Here's, I've got you some crunchies. Oh, well... I mean, couldn't you have brought moist food? Yes, of course I could have, but I know that these are better for you, so I brought you these. Oh, well, thanks. I'll eat them later. Oh, well, all right. Uh, and, uh, well, you're Jordan, but who, who's who's this? H hello, um, my name is Reggie Sinclair. I am a 
cousin of Rory Sinjin? Oh, right, right, of course, of course. Reggie Sinclair, I'm so sorry I didn't know immediately who you were. I, I, I saw you and I thought, oh, that looks like uh, my previous identity of Rory Sinjin, and I was confused. But yes, of course, Reggie Sinclair, who looks exactly like me. Well, I mean, that, that's, that actually bra- raises a really good point, is that you don't, you don't look anything like Rory at all. No, you actually look a lot like Frank. Whoa, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. I, I was the, I mean, I was the, 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 the sperm donor. Yes, and I do appreciate that, and so does my father, Thomas Alva Edison. Well, okay, but then even so, wouldn't you look like a, like halfway between Rory and Frank? Well, no, because actually, uh, I probably don't share any DNA whatsoever with Rory Sinjin's previous body, because if you recall, Rory never was sure who his actual mother was. And I call him he because even though I am also the continuation of Rory Sinjin's essence in this new body of Rory Edison, I still feel very different from Rory Sinjin because my ideas are so much better and more correct than his ever were. So you don't like extra history? No, of course not. Extra history is nonsense. I mean, you and I agree on that, Frank, right? Well, yes. Well, no, 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 I mean, extra history is not nonsense. Just because you don't believe in it anymore doesn't mean that it's not true. Well, I was the leading proponent of it in my previous existence as Rory Sinjin, and now that I'm Rory Edison, I know and can say for a fact that it is nonsense, and I was making it up the entire time. No, hold on. That's not actually correct. I am, not only do I know that that's not correct because I do extra history, and I know that I'm not making it up, I also knew for a fact that Rory Sinjin, when he was alive, would talk to me about extra history, and he would say to me emphatically, we are so not making this up. This is something we are really, really honestly studying, you and I. That's a really awkward way of saying something to you, that he actually said that to you? Yeah, I mean, not in those... Not in that phrasing, but it was clear that the two of us were not making things up. Well, I'm really sorry to tell you this, sir, but I, I, I was just making it up when I was Rory Sinjin. Now that I'm Rory Edison, I can just come right out and say, extra history is nonsense. It should probably be completely debunked and stricken from the records of all legitimate studies. Stricken from the records? Of legitimate studies. I mean, it would still be in records, of course, because we like to keep records of charlatans and scams that went on in the past so that we don't ever fall for them again. So, of course, we will preserve it forever in those books and in those studies. But as an actual subject matter that people are constantly learning about, about and constantly working on it, of course, is total nonsense. We all know this. Uh, I can confirm it as the person who was most responsible for popularizing. Now, hold on. Hold on just one minute. Yeah, what? Now, you, I, I, I think as a matter of as a matter of record, you, you said a moment ago that you often will refer to Rory Sinjin as a he. And I think, well, I, I would move that you always have to do so because you're quite a different person than Rory Sinjin, in fact. And, and you, you, you act very differently from him and you have different opinions from him. And, and, and I don't think it's fair for you to go around saying that you are him or even implying that you are him or, or, or trying to give your, your new ideas more credence because they come from a person who claims that he used to be that person. Well, I did used to be that person. Uh, so Thomas Alva Edison says in an audio letter, but legally speaking, I'm pretty sure there's no way you can prove that. So I, I, I think legally you should refrain from ever, you know, making any proclamations that, that sound as though they come from Rory Sinjin or from a later version of Rory Sinjin, because I don't think that you are necessarily the best person present to say the truth about what Rory Sinjin had thought in the past. Well, what person would there be better to say what Rory Sinjin thought in the past than me, who was Rory Sinjin in the past and who is now reincarnated, reborn, and re-aged up as Rory Edison, the son of Thomas Alva Edison through the surrogate semen of Frank Allen? I don't want to... Okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I have a whole bunch of problems with what's going on, and and, and things keep just blasting past that I, I have, don't have a chance to respond to. Number one. 
Stop talking about my semen. Well, I'm just saying because it, in fact, was your semen. No, I don't. I don't want to talk about my sex life. I don't want to talk about my semen. I don't want to talk about discuss. You're making Paul Ormond too excited. I don't like it. Okay. Number two, your father, Thomas Alva Edison, went back in time and made Diogenes Sinjin want to have rough gay sex. While I can't say I'm privy to all of my father's plans and schemes, I will say that I do believe my father when he tells me things. As such, since he did say in the audio letter that he did that thing, I assume he did that thing, or else he should not have said that he had done that thing, and in fact would not have said that he had done that thing. So, therefore, ipso facto, if Thomas Alva Edison says he did a thing, one can count on the fact that that thing was in fact done, and was in fact done by Thomas Alva Edison. Okay, why would Thomas do that to me. I thought we had a deal. Thomas, I thought we were both happy with the way things turned out. You got your little sperm sample, and I didn't remember it, so what? Are you that jealous that another man slept with your wife, even though you were in his brain at the time, that you have to humiliate him with gay sex? I would not, in fact, put it past Thomas, because he does seem to have the ability to hold a grudge for a very long time. Nonsense. I don't see any evidence that my father holds grudges, or that he does... Well, I mean, I guess he did say some angry things, didn't he? Well... Not towards either of you, though, so I don't see why you would think he can hold a grudge. And finally, what is he talking about? He, was that a jab about my, 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 my butt pillow that he made about going into possessing his consciousness into the thing that I'm sitting on? Because it's just a comfort pillow. It's not there because of anything in particular. You mean like rough case sex? Well, I'm, for example... That my father caused you to have. Right. No, that, yes, that is what I'm saying. Is Okay, so wait... I mean, what is in it for him to make me have rough gay sex and then put his consciousness into a pillow under my butt? The will of Thomas Alva Edison is, in fact, a mysterious one and does make decisions that mortal men such as yourselves would not quite understand. Perhaps I, as his true heir, Rory Edison, will someday come to understand the reasoning of Thomas Alva Edison. But for now, it is not ours to know. It is only ours to wonder. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, well I mean... Who am I to deny Thomas Alva Edison? If he sent you to be on the show, then I guess now we have five hosts on the show. We've got um, myself, Jordan. We've got Scapey. We've got Frank. We've got Rory. And we've got Reggie. Oh, are you also going to be on the show from now on? Well, yes, Rory. I had just come to the show today, and, and, and Jordan had graciously asked me to be on the show. Well, that's wonderful. Perhaps you and I can re-engage in that friendship that we had had for many years over email correspondence and telephone correspondence. Well, I would like that very much, were it not for the fact that you disrespect my entire field of study. Do not worry about that, Mr. Reggie Sinclair. I will, in my perfect judgment, find a way to convince you that extra history is nonsense and get you to give up on it. And then you will cherish the fact that I was your friend all this time and that I brought you to see the error of the ways that you were going through for so many years of your life. Yes, well, that sounds like it's going to be loads of fun. Sure. Okay. Um, but but there, there's, there, I mean, there's one issue, which is that you and Frank actually sound a lot alike. Oh, do you think we do? Well, yeah, you sound exactly like me. Again, that does make sense because you were, in fact, the sperm donation that my father needed in order to sire a son such as myself. It seems your vocal abilities were among the preferable traits that Thomas decided to keep from the materials that you provided, which does make sense because from everything I've heard, you are yourself quite an excellent vocal host. Uh, I mean, yeah, I am. Then that, of course, is why I was given your vocal ability 
abilities instead of my mother's. My mother, Miss Evelyn Sinjin, is many things, but a good speaker is not one of them. But why do you have no British accent? As in all things, I was taught to speak by Thomas Alva Edison, who himself has no British accent, being not from Britain, but from America, New Jersey specifically. One might well ask why I don't have a New Jersey accent. That is, of course, because the New Jersey accent is imperfect, and I am perfect in all things, as my father made me. You have kind of a Frank Allen accent. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Well, you know, Frank, you have like a little bit of a uh, accent. I don't, I don't even know what it's from. Well, I'm from Binghamton, so it's, I guess it's a Binghamton accent. Well, that would make no sense, because I am not from Binghamton, and I have a very similar accent to you. I have an accent that was given to me by Thomas Alva Edison as a gift one would give to one's son. So, therefore, it is a good thing. Coming from Binghamton is never a good thing. Oh, whoa, well, hang on. That's your heritage there, son. Oh, please do not call me son. You are not my father. You are the sperm donor only, and I respect you for that, but at the same time, I owe you no allegiance as a son owes to a father. Well, that's just disrespectful. Uh, it is not disrespectful. In fact, I specifically said right in it that I give you all the respect that you are due. With all due respect, I do not need to respect you. Therefore, I'm giving you the respect that you're due, even though I'm not giving you more respect than you are due, because I need not give you more respect than you are due, because you are due a very precise amount of respect. The respect that you are due is that of a sperm donor and that of a sperm donor who was paid handsomely, I might add. Once the donation is complete and the money has changed hands, there is no more reason for you to be in my life other than now we are colleagues. Right, but okay, all of this is good information to have, but it, it doesn't really solve the fact that the two of you sound really similar. I mean, how am I going to differentiate you both? I think our manner of speaking is pretty significantly different, and I don't think either of us will get confused by hearing our own voices. No, I think it was for the listener, kid. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I meant for the listener, not for you two. Obviously, it's not going to confuse you to hear your voice. Again, our pattern of speech is significantly different. He tends to be more sarcastic than I am, or I tend to be earnest. I also tend to speak more quickly and with more words than he would use. That's true enough. Well, we'll figure something out. At any rate, we actually have another letter to read, so, um, gosh, uh, I, I don't know, uh, maybe one of you guys want to read the letter. Uh, Rory, you want to read this? Yes, no problem. Uh, actually, I believe he was talking to me. I'm Rory, you're Reggie. Oh, no, yeah, uh, right. I thought you said Reggie. I'm sorry, I thought you said Reggie. No, no, I'm sorry, I said, uh, I said Rory. I figured Rory would. Want to read it? Yes, no, not a problem at all. Dear Jordan, over the last few podcasts, you've asked your fans to email in. I'm still not actually sure if this will be read on the air, but I thought I would write in from the perspective of a fan. It's not so much that we think you are necessarily writing all of the emails in order to keep scripting the show, but you do have a group of writers who will write shows for you, and I think that they also write the emails to the show. I believe you are genuinely surprised by some of the emails, but they are still pretty obviously written to shape the plots of Podcast Jordan, Podcast Frank, Podcast Rory, and Podcast Scape. We don't think official business for any of you is really sent to the podcast? Why would the government, post office, higher educational committees, etc. write into a podcast? It's a comedy podcast, and it's all part of the comedy, which, by the way, is super funny. Even your calls for emails do not seem genuine, since you keep insisting that it is all real and you want real fans to write in. It's still hard to believe. Methinks the host doth protest too much. That said, if you actually do read this on the podcast, it might be a different story, and maybe you want your real fans to write in and help you shape the lives of your podcast alter egos, which would actually be pretty awesome. Awesome. Anyway, whichever way this goes, know that you have real fans out here loving your work, but not thinking our emails will actually get anywhere. It's not a big deal. Your stories for the hosts are great, but I just wanted to test and see how real your calls for emails was. I hope that if you don't read this on the air, that you write me back and let me know the real deal. Thanks, Christina. Wow, uh, that's... Well, that's really interesting. Christina, thank you for writing in. Yeah, I'm really asking for you to write in and, 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 and write into us. Uh, I, I want you to, and, and, and you've done it now. So good. 
Good on you. Uh, and everybody else should take this as a cue that you can actually write in. That being said, you said a lot of stuff that really confused me. You talk about um, the plots of Podcast Jordan. I don't even know what that means. Like, I, I'm I'm Podcast Jordan. So, I mean, what do you mean by the plots? It's just my life, right? And it's just Frank's life and, and Scape's life. And I think it's very interesting that she actually wrote in about me as well, even though I was not currently on the podcast. Well, I think she was talking about Rory Sinjin, not Rory Edison. She didn't know you were going to be showing up. Yes, of course. But I am Rory Sinjin. Just come back with a different last name and different ideas and a different body. Right. Which, as I said, it doesn't seem like the same. Per okay. Jordan, can you please continue with the letter? Yeah. Uh, so I was confused by that. And then you, you ask, why would the, the government and all write into the podcast? Well, they don't know they're writing into the podcast always. I mean, they write into my email address and when i get letters to that email address i'll read them on the air sometimes they're official notices you know these are things that happen and that being said i don't want you to not think that i'm genuinely asking you to write in because i do want you to write in and and help shape my life whatever that means but yes getting letters shapes my life so write into me and shape my life in that respect in that strange terminology and now you can also write into podcast reggie that's me Reggie Sinclair. I'll give you extra historical readings. Well, please don't let the fact that he will give you an extra historical reading deter you from writing into the podcast, because it is still a good podcast, and people like I, Rory Edison, will still find a way to make something good happen for you and give you good information when you write into the podcast, even though extra history is not exactly a good thing, and in fact is usually a scam of some sort. I will keep him from trying to make money off of you. I, Rory Edison, will make sure that I do that. I, I feel like I feel like I'm getting edged out of the podcast here. What's going on? Frank, don't feel like... I mean, just because he sounds like you doesn't mean... Yeah, and he has my opinion. Well, Mr. Allen, in this one case, you have the correct opinion and the most perfect opinion that one can have, which is what I was given by my father, Thomas Alva Edison. So, therefore, I, Rory Edison, have that same opinion. But worry not, in many other subjects, you and I will have differing opinions because your opinion is far from perfect. Ugh. How do I even get a, a word in edgewise? Uh, well, it's going to be a bit of a crowded podcast with five people, do you not think? It's a little crowded. It's a little crowded. But that being said, you know, we're excited to have everybody here. Um, I think we're going to end the podcast for today, but this was a great podcast. We almost doubled the amount of hosts on the podcast in this day. So, wow. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Write into us at castinwax at gmail.com. That's castandwax at gmail.com. Help shape our lives. There's five of us here you can write into. Um, what are we going to have when we come back next week? Well, we'll probably have more Nathan. We'll probably have more Annie. We'll probably have more Kentwood. And will we have a scapey story? Will we have a waxwork one-on-one? -on -one? There's so many great possibilities. Who knows? Who knows what we will end up with? Um, when will this be? You know what? I would really love. I would really love to get another podcast done next week. But I'm not going to promise it because I suck. So, until then, be seeing you. Meet Kathy, who's lived most everywhere. From Zanzibar to Barclay Square. But Patty's only seen the sights of girl conceived from Brooklyn Heights. What a crazy pair. But they're cousins. Identical cousins all the way. One pair of matching bookends. Different as night and day. Where Kathy adores a minuet. The ballet russe. And Crepe Suzette Our Patty loves to rock and roll A hot dog makes to lose control What a wild duet Still they're cousins Identical cousins And you'll find They laugh alike They walk alike At times they even talk alike You can lose your mind When cousins Are two of a kind The Patty Duke theme Was recorded live In front of no audience <laughs>